Um, I think I would say that the first step is to name your fears. And I think instead of, you know, we want to act brave and tough and stuff, it's helpful to just like make a list of things you're worried about. And from there you can do research about those things and figure out what is kind of um, relevant to be worried about and what may be irrational and, and like move forward from there. And to understand that fear is normal and totally healthy and that it doesn't have to stop you from doing it. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 59 of Life in Motion. I've got Christine Reed on the line who found her love for the outdoors, backpacking, rock climbing, and trail running by surfing the web. She's also the author of Alone in Wonderland, which is a story about how her journey on the Wonderland Trail not only led to an awesome adventure, but also allowed her to learn a lot about herself. Um, Christine, thank you for being on the show today. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Um, and and uh, I know I saw on Instagram as well that you just surpassed uh, a thousand copies on the book last week. So congratulations to that. I did. Thank you so much. That's awesome. That's awesome. So kind of before we get into that, which I guess a lot of your background story is kind of within the book as well. But uh, let's kind of set the stage of, of who you are, kind of um, where you grew up, kind of how did you kind of get into this lifestyle? Sure. Um, I was a military brat. So I grew up mostly in Florida and California. And then I went to college in Arkansas. Okay. Um, but we moved around a lot. Um, every probably two to three years, we moved houses. Every three to four years, we moved states or cities. Um, so I got to see a lot of places as a kid, but I wasn't really involved in any sports or activities long term because we moved all the time. So um, I was really focused on school and getting my education. My parents uh, really prioritized that for us. And so I really didn't do outdoor activities at all as a kid. Um, I didn't discover hiking until I was a college student. That's all. Awesome. So, and you went to, to school in uh, Arkansas, which, uh, where, where'd you go? Uh, the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Okay. Okay. So I, I'm here in Springfield, Missouri. So that's not far, far from, uh, from us here. Is, yep. is, so I know, uh, especially that, that area, I don't, I don't know if you've been back there later than that, but kind of that whole outdoor scene and mountain biking, a lot of stuff is kind of, uh, seems to kind of be uh boom i don't know booming is the right word but kind of uh you know kind of kind of picking up some speed there as well is that was it like that when you were in college or is i or was it more of you know you had some friends that kind of hey let's go hike on the trail or you just started kind of seeing random stuff or you just had your own curiosity um I don't know if people were doing those things back then. I imagine there were people. <laughs> um, but honestly, I mean, I didn't do a lot of hiking in college. I got taken on a couple of very short day hikes by like guys that I was going on a date with or, you know, a friend who had lived there her whole life. And I did a few local short hikes in the Little Rock area. Um, but honestly, I had a pretty miserable time at them. Um, it's I don't know if people know this, hot and humid in Arkansas. <laughs> um, and so that doesn't make for a super comfortable time. But I also just wasn't in physical condition to do those things. And 
everything was really difficult for me. And so people would take me on a hike and I'd be like, ugh, I'm hot, I'm sweating, my heart is pounding, this is really hard, I don't know why anyone would want to do this. <laughs> um, so my first experiences with hiking were really rather unpleasant. Um, and it wasn't until I happened across a blog about the Appalachian Trail that I really got interested in hiking. Um, and that was actually the summer after I graduated from college. Okay. So, so it was kind of funny to me here and saying that. So you basically hated your first couple of day hikes from, from being tired and sweat and all that stuff. But then you got interested in the Appalachian Trail, which is much more than a, a day hike, which is kind of curious. So what, I guess, after those initial experiences that you had and then learning about, you know, hiking that trail, um, you know, so many days, so many miles, thousands of miles, what, I guess, what kept you interested in kind of, I guess, making that progression? Um, I guess I didn't really see it so much as a progression as like an opportunity to prove the past wrong. Um, I had had really bad experiences with day hiking and I felt a lot of shame about my body and like a failure of sorts that I saw other people who could just go on a hike and go up a hill like it was no big deal. And I didn't really understand why it was so hard for me. Um, and I felt like a personal failing in my body of like the embarrassment of looking like I was having a hard time, but also the internal knowing like this is harder than it should be for some reason. And I don't know why. Um, and I thought that if I just like did the work that I could get in shape and then things would be easier for me. And so I think at the time I saw the Appalachian Trail as an opportunity to devote myself fully to that idea that I could go out for six months and do nothing but hike. And by the end of it, I would come off like, now I'm good at this. <laughs> you know, I thought it was going to be a transformation um, in a physical way that I was seeking to, to be the type of person who could do those things easily. Cool. And that's, that's interesting too, to bringing up the, the physical aspect of it, you know, rather than, uh, you know, going to planet fitness or whatever like that, you know, actually going out there and doing these challenging hikes or, or whatnot. Um, it, it, it's an interesting route to take. So I, I guess besides kind of that challenge of, you know, not feeling like you could do it, but you want, you had your kind of mindset on that. Was there something about being outdoors at that time that kind of also drew you to it because like going back to the physical aspect if you if you feel out of shape and you go to plan a fitness you know for an hour a day you know it's one thing but if you're actually out hiking or doing whatever outdoors it, it's kind of a different mindset is that is that kind of what kind of put you in totally i think there's sort of two aspects to that like the idea of going on a really long hike there's a level of attainability that it just is like you're gonna carry a backpack and you're gonna walk for a really long time and when you say it like that it seems reachable it seems like a goal that anybody almost could attain and so i i saw it as something that like okay like i just have to get out there and walk and then walk and walk and walk and it'll just get easier over time. Um, and there was something approachable about it that, you know, going to the gym for somebody who's never gone to the gym and lifted weights, like that can be really intimidating. Mm -hmm. um, but also a big part of it had to do with the, the outdoor community that I found online when I was doing research. And it was 
it was the passion that people were expressing when they were talking about the Appalachian Trail and their their journey to it and their journey on it. It seemed like a lot of people went to the trail because they were searching for something within themselves. And there was definitely people who like there was a fitness component. Um, but a lot of people, it was more of an emotional component or looking for something, a uh, way to reinvent themselves, um, to find something that they had been missing in their life. And I was definitely, you know, I had just graduated from college. And so I was feeling a little lost in terms of knowing where my life was headed. And I thought maybe this could be like my epic, you know, coming of age journey. And I'm going to go out there and figure out who I am and what I'm doing with my life. That's awesome. Hey, that's, that's a good way to, to do it. I've not hiked that, but, um, or, or honestly thought about it either, but that totally makes <laughs> sense. Kind of, um, y- you know, using that as a way to, you know, sort of, I guess, uh, find yourself and kind of establish who you are at that point in your, in your life, especially. Um, so, so at that point, after you, you kind of started getting into the blogs and kind of learning about the community and, and the passion that, that people had for kind of the outdoors in that sense, I, I assume that, you know, you started uh, kind of planning to do that yourself? Yeah. So I discovered it in the fall of 2013. Um, I bought my very first piece of outdoor gear, which was a Patagonia fleece jacket, <laughs> um, not too long after that. And then I started to slowly accumulate things and, and I was doing research and um, I came to a point where my lease was going to be up, but I wasn't going to be able to start the trail for another six months. So I moved to Yosemite National Park um, and got a job at the gift shop there. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go to Yosemite and like get ready to hike the trail. I'm going to do a bunch of hiking um, and like practice carry my backpack. <laughs> um, and then I thought I would meet other outdoorsy people in Yosemite. That was kind of the plan. Like I'm going to go immerse myself in the culture and get ready to do the big thing. That's, that's seems, seems like a good place to kind of get your feet wet in a comfortable way. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was nothing like I expected, but it was an amazing experience. That's, that's awesome. So so, so you, you go to Yosemite and, um, you know, kind of, I don't know, prepare, I guess, rather than train, uh, kind of prepare for, you know, tackling the Appalachian trail. Um, did, did you end up meeting kind of the other outdoors people or any, any other people out there that were, um, planning on doing the the trail the same time that you were, or like kind of what, what was that journey from there? And then like to, to starting it. Yeah, that would have been nice to meet someone else who was going to do the AT. Um, No, I mean, there was definitely other people who had done through hikes and other people who had done backpacking things. But honestly, most of the the culture in Yosemite is really focused around rock climbing. Um, And at the time, I didn't know anything about rock climbing. And I didn't know that Yosemite was a place people rock climbed. And so when I got there, I was a little confused. (laughs) Because I was expecting to just meet a bunch of people who hiked and um, a lot of rock climbers poo poo on hiking a little bit. So there was a bunch of people that were like, Oh, why would you want to do that? But it was a really interesting immersion into the culture. I did do very little hiking while I was in Yosemite, actually. Um, Not because there weren't opportunities, but because there was just other fun things to do. Um, But I met some of my best friends who I'm still best friends with now and who moved to Denver after they were in Yosemite. And then when I finished the AT, I moved to Denver, um, which has been such a wonderful opportunity for me to be part of the outdoor community because it's thriving in Denver, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I, other than hiking Mount Whitney, 
I really didn't do a lot of hiking when I was in Yosemite, but hiking Mount Whitney was kind of the one big preparatory thing that I think made a huge difference for me once I got on the Appalachian Trail, knowing that I had done that. That's awesome. And, and that, make, that makes sense. And it's cool that you kind of found that sense of community there and still f- with friends with, with people from there now as well, or from that time there at least. Um, so, so then did, did you um, end up hiking the Appalachian Trail and kind of following through with all that? Um, sort of. I, <laughs> I started the AT in March of 2015 and four days after I got on the trail, my mom passed. Um, and so I was kind of pulled off trail. I went to her, uh, memorial service and then honestly I thought, oh, you know, I've spent a year and a half of my life preparing for this hike and now my mom has died and I just have to do other things. I can't go back and finish hiking. Um, but it didn't take too long to realize that I, I still needed to do what I had set out to do. So, um, I kind of took the the mission of getting from Georgia to Maine out of the equation, and I said i 'm just going to go out and hike and and go for a while and see see what I see and if I can get the experience I was looking for, um, maybe getting to maine isn 't isn 't the only thing that 's important here, and I can still accomplish some of the other things so I went back out on the trail after she died, and I spent seventy days on the a t um, and hiked from the beginning in Georgia to Parisburg, Virginia. Okay. So that, yeah, I mean, that's a yeah, significant place or amount. Uh, and I'm, of course, sorry to, to hear that um, from, from my own experiences uh, with my dad actually, but anyways, um, that sounds like that was a good opportunity for you at that time. If that makes sense to kind of clear, clear some of that and kind of connect with yourself. So that's, it's it's cool to hear that you that you were able to con- still continue on with that kind of that that uh, initial journey and kind of use that sounds like as, in a helpful way, which is which is awesome. So um, so so what happened after uh, after you you hiked that short that or not that short excuse me <laughs> seventy days is not short, uh, <laughs> but after after you you completed that got it to Virginia what what happened after that. Um, so I took the rest of the time that I was planning to be on trail and and went home and spent time with my dad. Um, and and one of the things that's really nice about, I guess, kind of how all that worked out is that I'd already planned to take this time off. Um, I think a lot of times we don't take the time personally to grieve and to move through difficult things. And so having already set aside the time planning to have a big emotional journey, I was prepared and had the time to have a big emotional journey. <laughs> um, and so I, I hiked and then I went home and spent some time with my dad. And then, and then that's when I moved to Denver. Um, and one of the things a lot of people talk about when it comes to through hiking is post-trail depression. Um, and it's, I think, a way of talking about the difficulty of going back to a quote-unquote normal life after mm-hmm. doing something like being on trail for two months, six months, however long people are away. Um, because your priorities really change and your ideas of uh, social interaction and your idea of who you are and, and what your purpose is in the world um, they shift. And so going back to just doing what you were doing before the trail, uh, is it's hard. Um, 
And so when I moved to Denver, I really had changed so much. And I went back to like, okay, I'm going to get a job and like fix my resume up now that I've taken this time off. Um, and, and I did that, but it didn't take, you know, a year, year and a half maybe for me to really be feeling that call again to like throw everything in the dumpster and, <laughs> and you know, hit the road. So, um, you know, after two years, it's about two years of living in Denver and, and working and kind of working my way up the corporate ladder, I decided to buy a van um, and move into a van. So I did that in the spring of 2018. Oh, that right? That's, yeah. that's awesome. Did you, did you um, buy one and build it out yourself or did you have one that was already built out or? So my first van was a 2003 Chevy, no, a Dodge Ram van. I've been talking to somebody about Chevy vans all week. <laughs> um, it was a 2003 Dodge Ram uh, passenger van. When I bought it, it was just a passenger van with seats in it. Okay. Um, and I kind of ripped everything out and with the help of some friends put a really snazzy plywood floor in and a bunk made out of two by fours. And that was about as fancy as it got. Um, and I lived in that for a year and a half. And that's when, um, I hiked the Wonderland trail was while I was living in that van. And then afterwards I bought a Ford transit, um, and had it built out professionally. So it was more like a real house. Um, Yeah. <laughs> that, that's awesome. I have uh, one of my one of my best friends. Um, he him and his uh, now fiance. They it was last year. They they did the whole van life thing for uh, I guess it was close. Uh, it was half a year maybe. Um, yeah. And they still have and all that stuff. So that's that's pretty awesome. So so during that time, were you still were you still living in Denver when you were living in the van, or were you kind of doing the whole nomad thing and just kind of going wherever and and kind of bouncing back and forth or um, I was roaming for sure. I I had left Denver actually while I was still working um, and taken a job in Arizona for the same company. And that's, I bought the van in Arizona. Okay. Um, but I was only there for four months before I was like, oh, this is too stressful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I bought the van and then I kind of hit the road. And I think I was looking a little bit still for that same sense of independence. And, and the thing I was seeking when I hit the Appalachian Trail was like this idea that I was going to figure out who I was and figure out where I belonged and what I should be doing with my life. Um, because when I did the AT, instead of figuring out all those things, I like dealt with grief and, and what was happening in my life at that time. So I still felt a bit lost in terms of knowing what my purpose is. And maybe it's just that we continually are asking those questions yeah. <laughs> and they never get answered. Um, but I was looking for something when I got into the van. And so I was like, I'm going to go travel around and, you know, hike in different places and meet new people. And so I really was doing this kind of like aggressive independence um, when I got out in the van. So I didn't really want to hang around Denver, uh, you know, since I'd been there for so long before that. Um, and that's when, so I headed up the West Coast and went to Portland for a little while. And then I found myself at Mount Rainier um, and I kind of crossed paths with the Wonderland Trail and thought, oh, I've heard of that from other through hikers. And, you know, I looked it up, it's 93 miles. And I thought that seems doable. I'm going to just like hop on and do that real quick. That's, that's awesome. So, um, and that, that sounds like a good, uh, the the wandering lifestyle i wish i could i wish i could do that with the two kids that i have at home but uh, <laughs> um that that's awesome though that you kind of were able to bounce around and then and then kind of 
not necessarily stumble upon the Wonderland Trail, but, you know, uh, kind of find it that way. So you thought it was doable. So what, what, what did you, when, when did you kind of set your mind? Okay, I'm going to do this now. And kind of what, what were the details and the preparation for that? And, and 93 miles equates to about how many days on average? Um, most people do it in nine, nine or 10 days. Okay. Yeah. Um, which is like a 10 mile day, you know, it's a nine or 10 mile day per day. Um, and for, for most people who have experienced backpacking, that's like pretty doable. Um, I think I crossed over the trail maybe around July 23rd. It was like a week before August started. Um, and I went to see a friend in Seattle, um, after I had seen the trail and I kind of molded over for a day or two. And I was like, I think I really want to do that. I just feel really called. I hadn't backpacked much since the AT and it just, I, it really spoke to me to like, go do that again. Um, and so I went to Seattle, I bought food for 14 days cause the permits, you can get up to 14 days on a permit. So I thought I'll just get 14 days worth of food and then I'll get a walk up permit and you know, however long they'll let me be out there, I'll be out there. So um, I started or I drove back to the trail to try to get a permit on July 31st and was able to get a walk-up permit right away and to start the trail on August 1st. So just the next day. Um, That's awesome. So, and, and I want to just, uh, just a little bit of kind of information for the, the listeners as well that might not know. Um, can, can you do a little bit of explaining on, on the permits and how they work? I know, I know they're pretty sought after and there's kind of, uh, you know, like you said, I, I know in, in the book, you know, you woke up super, super early to just hopefully get one. So can you just touch mm-hmm. on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, it is a very high demand and there are not a ton of campsites on the Wonderland Trail and the permits are all campsite specific. So they tell you where to be and when, um, and they do a lottery system and the lottery for this year actually already happened. Um, but they give out about two thirds of the campsites via the lottery system in the spring. And then the other third they save for walk-ups. And so um, if you have the luxury of being able to just show up at the park and hope for the best with two weeks worth of food and all of your gear, (laughs) um, I think the chances of getting a walk-up permit are actually pretty good. Everyone that I've talked to who tried for one got it. Um, And I talked to people on the trail who said they'd been in the lottery for seven or eight years in a row and were just finally getting on trail. So, yeah. So if you've, if you've got the time and the, the availability to just go, and I can't imagine that you'd wait more than two or three days to get on if you tried to get a walk up. That's that's awesome. Yeah. That's, and and I, you know, obviously the whole reason I I would assume is to kind of help uh, preserve kind of the the campsites and not having too many people out there kind of uh, uh, messing with the the natural stuff out there, I guess. Totally. Yeah. The, the trail goes through Alpine environment. So like staying on the trail is super important. The plant life is fragile and there's a lot of wildlife. And of course they get domesticated if they start eating people food. So um, they, you know, they want to keep that to a minimum. And um, also it's just, it's really lovely and serene out there and it's nice to have fewer people, you know, it's not like being on the AT where there's 40 people at your campsite. Yeah. So so, and I, I know I don't want to, um, don't want you to ruin the book. Cause I, obviously I want people to check that out, um, as, as well. But so, uh, can we, or, or what are, what are kind of some of the, 
the stories from the trail. Um, and you, and you did this alone as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what were some kind of those experiences or kind of, you know, um, and also maybe even parallels between, you know, doing, doing the AT and then doing this, which, you know, 70 days on, on the AT versus, you know, 14 days there, you know, what, what are kind of some of those kind of stories and experiences and kind of parallels that, that might've happened? Um, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't ruin the book because the, the time <laughs> on the Wonderland trail is only half of the story, but, um, I mean, a big part of it for me was that I did go alone and I, you know, I'm always trying to prove my independence and do this kind of like strong independent woman act. Um, And I think that we, you know, when we go somewhere like a trail where everybody's backpacking and kind of doing the same thing, like we just have such community in that experience that no matter how independent or alone you think you're going to be, like there's always people there. You're always going to make friends. Um, you're going to have like really lovely interactions with people. And, and I definitely had that experience more so on the Wonderland Trail than on the AT, even though the AT is so much more crowded. Um, because when I was on the Appalachian Trail, like my mom had just died and I was trying to deal with that. And I was being pretty antisocial in terms of wanting to hang out with other people. And, and on long trails, there tends to be a bit of a party culture um, among the younger set. And, and so I was definitely trying to avoid that. I had recently quit drinking, um, and, and was trying to kind of refocus myself in that way. And so when I saw people like going out to bars in town, you know, on their town days and stuff, I was like, I'm not participating in that at all. Um, and, and there's a very different culture. I feel like on a long trail where you're, you're going in and out of town every five or six days and you have access to all of these things, um, that, the Wonderland Trail really doesn't allow, you know, you've got a 93 mile loop and all the whole thing is in the national park. And there are three places where you cross through like touristy areas, but they don't even have showers. Like there's nowhere to do your laundry. The (laughs) the only restaurant is like the national park restaurant. That's all like, you know, hamburgers or whatever, (laughs) you know, there's not like tons of options to go, like go out and have a beer. Like, people just aren't doing that on the Wonderland Trail. So there was a very different social aspect. Um, Of course, on the Wonderland Trail, like it's 93 miles for a lot of people who are doing that. It's the longest thing they've ever done. Um, And so being there to like witness people being, you know, super excited about doing something longer than a weekend for the first time ever. Like that was cool to see. Um, You know, of course on the AT, that's the longest thing a lot of people have ever done too, but it's, I just feel like a different mindset. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I, I've had um, I, I've had a couple of people that have done the AT and kind of hearing their experiences, but um, I, I guess I didn't really realize the the more or less like kind of the the uh, party culture or whatnot, kind of or even think about those those differences of yeah, you know, you're you're hiking this long trail, but you know, you can hop in and out of towns. Mm-hmm. And in your case for the the Wonderland, you know, you can't do that. So it is a different mindset. It uh, sounds like, so that's, that's pretty cool. Were, so the people that you met on the trail, were they mainly in groups or, you know, I, I know there's some, some, some instances where, uh, you know, people are kind of confused that you were doing this alone. Yeah, definitely. Um, I met two other hikers 
well, I guess three, um, who were by themselves. But for the most part, it was pairs and there were several big groups. I actually was really impressed with people when I see a group of five or six people and I'm just like, how did you all coordinate to do this? I, I'm like blown away. Um, (laughs) You know, it's hard enough just to get one person to like, okay, let's like both take time off work at the same time and like be at this place and, you know, get the permits and the whole shebang. So um, it definitely seemed like people were going more as groups and honestly because of how permitted it is it it's nice to go as a group because then more people are getting to experience it you know I took up campsites just by myself and they were plenty big I could have had another person there with me um and I think that's maybe one of the reasons that I was uh, accosted by a woman who was like, why are you here alone? You know, she was so accusatory about it. Like, like me being there alone had taken something away from her. That's, that's interesting. So I guess when, when people are, uh, you run into those instances, or, I mean, I guess they're just, do you think it's more of a, they just don't understand why you're doing it in the first place and then you're also alone? Or do you think there it's more of a, there's a a misconception of what will happen on the trail. Definitely both. Um, I think as a woman, especially, you know, people come up all the time and ask, aren't you afraid? And like, aren't you worried this will happen or that'll happen? And, and I have lots of women, especially now that I've written the book who want to do things alone and they are afraid and they, you know, they come and they ask like, how do I get over this fear? How do I deal with that? Um, and I think a big part of that fear is it's not even our own fear. It's the fear that's put on us by others. And it comes from people asking those questions. Aren't you afraid this is going to happen? And I'm like, actually, I hadn't even thought about that. And it's really unlikely that that would happen, which is why I haven't thought about it. But now that you said it, I'm thinking <laughs> about it, you know, <laughs> like people have very irrational fears and then they want to like allay those onto you. And I just, you know, at a certain point was like, I refuse to accept your fears. Like I'm, I'm not taking that on as my own. Um, and I'm happy to have those conversations with people. And when I have concerned parental types approach me on the trail and ask me, you know, how I'm so brave or like, aren't I worried? Um, I, I always want to entertain them to a certain aspect because I think people don't realize that when they ask those questions, they are just projecting their own fear. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and especially I'm sure, you know, once you, once you break it down, actually, you know, think about it, you know, walking home at 11 o'clock at night from a bar in a city uh, probably more things wrong could happen in that situation than, you know, a normal day or night on the trail. I, I, I would assume at least, at least the, the things that people are worried about, I should say. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and it's kind of, and it was cool reading in the book and you talking about kind of those things as well. So, and it's awesome to hear too, that it sounds like you're inspiring, um, other, other ladies as well that might be concerned about that, but also want to kind of you know, do that on their own to kind of give them that confidence, it sounds like. So that's pretty cool. I hope so. I think that doing things like backpacking by yourself are incredibly empowering. Um, And I would not pretend for even a second that I'm not afraid sometimes while I'm out there. You know, part of the book, part of my story that I wanted to share is showing like, it's okay to be afraid. You don't have to be some tough guy, like, you know, attitude about it. Like, that doesn't mean that it has to stop you from doing it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That, and that, that makes sense. And, and to, to be able to, 
portray that in, in the story is I think super helpful. So, so with that as well, so what, what was kind of your favorite part or maybe your favorite, um, I don't know, experience on the trail? Is there something specific that might, that might stand out? Um, I mean, the best part of the trail was probably when I did it. I hiked uh, August 1st through the 12th and the wildflowers in all of the meadows around Mount Rainier were in full bloom. And so it was just like a rainbow of flowers <laughs> everywhere you looked. It was spectacular. And the there was also like honeybees and bumblebees everywhere. So if you just like closed your eyes and listened, like the hum of bees was kind of ever present and that was really beautiful too that's awesome that's that sounds like it uh it would beat any sound machine i would have too especially after <laughs> mm. after 14 days <laughs> lay down in the, in the flowers take a nap here in the buzzing of the bees yeah well and almost everywhere you camp around mount rainier is close enough to a glacial river that you can hear the water flowing and yeah so if you're a, a white noise person when you sleep that is really nice too yeah <laughs> That's awesome. So what, um, so that's your favorite part. What was the most challenging part? And and you can, you know, talk about either the Wonderland Trail or, or the AT as well, kind of, but the most challenging part in, in hiking those are, you know, especially I guess in that case with it being on, I say only, but 14 <laughs> days, you know, compared to, you know, you doing the 70 before what, what were the biggest challenges that you came across with that? Um, one of the things that I really struggled with on the AT was um, uh, everyone around me getting their trail legs and I didn't feel like I was getting my trail legs. Um, I definitely got stronger, but I never really got much faster. <laughs> um, and, and as much as I was able to do more than I had been doing before, it was still really difficult. And after taking a couple years between the Appalachian Trail and the Wonderland Trail, um, when I got on the Wonderland Trail, I had kind of that same experience of just like, this is so hard. Um, and I didn't do a ton of research about the Wonderland Trail before I got on because I just saw it and was like, oh, I'm going to go do that. So um, I didn't look up like all the elevation profiles and things. And the Wonderland Trail has 22,000 feet of gain and 22,000 feet of descent um, over 93 miles. So it's a lot. And you're pretty much going really steeply uphill or really steeply downhill all the time. So, so I got on the trail and, you know, the first thing out the gate, I went like down for four miles and I was like, Oh, this is great. <laughs> and then I got to the bottom of that and it headed straight back up. And I thought, Oh my gosh, if I had had to come up this first, I might've just turned around and gone back to my car. Um, it was so <laughs> hard. And it was the first week of August. It was really hot. Um, I really hadn't seen anybody all day. And so I was like, I'm out here by myself, like really by myself. And it's so steep and difficult. And my backpack's heavy and, you know, all the same things. And, and I think the hard thing, you know, other than just it was physically hard was the mental aspect of realizing like, man, I have called myself a backpacker and a hiker now for three years. And like, I still kind of suck at this. Yeah, well, but it sounds like you you were uh, a very determined person, though. Obviously, you know, having uh, it, it sounds like those doubts aren't warranted. I guess I should say. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it like I mean, I think I've built I've built some of my identity and what I call myself around the idea that I know that I can do hard things, 
and and that I'm not going to give up just because something is hard because I know the things that have brought the most value to my life have been the ones that are really hard. Yeah, to- totally. That's that's awesome. So so and kind of to that point, what I, I guess with your with your time kind of, you know, e- either hiking or, you know, doing the the van life and kind of kind of doing you know, living that lifestyle, what is the biggest thing that you think that you've learned about yourself? And then also what, what keeps you, you know, you, you kind of mentioned earlier, you know, you have this, this thought of searching for fulfillment almost, you know? So what, what kind of keeps you, um, what keeps the outdoors as your source for that sense of fulfillment rather than, you know, say flying across the globe or, you know, doing anything else, like what keeps drawing you back to that? And, and like I said, the, also, what did you kind of learn about yourself kind of through that? I think that will answer that question. Yeah. Um, well, I think the outdoors has unlimited challenges. You know, if you're looking to do something hard, you can find it there. Um, and I think just being in a natural space is, it makes doing hard things like worthwhile in a way. Like, like you said, I could go to Planet Fitness and lift heavy weights, but is that inspiring to me? No. You know, I want to see the wildflowers and I want to put my feet in the glacial river and I want to touch places that I had to work hard to get to. Um, there's something really beautiful about seeing parts of the world that you know other people aren't seeing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You're not really, uh, you're not really dipping your toes in an Alpine Lake, uh, after, (laughs) (laughs) after living heavy weights, (laughs) man, but if you could, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I think, I think the backpack is probably the the only weight that you want out there hiking. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. That's all. So, so kind of to that, um, I guess one question is what is kind of after kind of hearing this, this journey of, of kind of, you know, how this all has kind of, um, you know, grown over the years for you and kind of the passion for it. What, what's next for you? Um, I'm currently planning to hike the Colorado trail this fall. Um, and depending how that goes, I'd like to do the Arizona trail in the winter also. Okay. How long is the, yeah. the Colorado trail? It's just under 500 miles. <laughs> just under. So is that, yeah. uh, I don't know, maybe three months or something. Did I do my math wrong? Um, yeah, I think we're trying to do it in about six or seven weeks. Okay. Um, which is still less than a hundred miles a week. So I think people crush it a lot faster than that. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do a leisurely six or seven weeks. (laughs) like you said, you know, take it all in, you know, reward yourself with the, with the beautiful views that that you you see there and why not? Uh, Right. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. So, um, so, so to that kind of, um, you know, I always like to ask people, you know, what, what advice could you offer to somebody that might be, um, you you know, maybe in, in your case, obviously you kind of found this passion for the outdoors, even though, you know, at sometimes there was, the self doubt or, you know, the challenge aspect of it that you're kind of challenging yourself. Um, and, you know, almost also like, you know, trying to figure out a way to kind of break, break that shell of the, of the, what the norm is, you know, what would you, what advice would you give to somebody that's kind of looking for that same sort of fulfillment, but might not 
at least at this point, you know, have the, the, the courage, I guess, I don't know if courage is the right word or not, but to go out there and try it and do it themselves. Um, I think I would say that the first step is to name your fears. And I think instead of, you know, we want to act brave and tough and stuff, it's helpful to just like make a list of things you're worried about. And from there you can do research about those things and figure out what is kind of, um, relevant to be worried about and what may be irrational and, and like move forward from there and to understand that fear is normal and totally healthy and that it doesn't have to stop you from doing it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I've actually, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard anybody um, say that before. I've heard like the whole, uh, you know, write down your, your, your goals or, you know, daily goals or, you know, yearly goals and kind of look at it from that way. But I've, that's, that's actually a really interesting perspective that I, at least I haven't thought of before heard anybody mention before is kind of writing out your fears and say, Hey, is this, is this actually something I should be worried about? Or is it something, you know, that might be a little legitimate. So that's, that's actually an interesting way to kind of break down those, those barriers. Well, and once you write something down and you give it a name and you call it by its name, then it doesn't have to be a part of you anymore. It becomes something else, you know? Yeah. You, you can separate it from yourself. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Well, where, where can people find you um, online to kind of see your next journey, um, the Colorado Trail, and kind of, and also where can people find your book online to actually get the full story? And, and I'll interject, like I said, I, I've, um, I've been reading it myself, and it, I, I really enjoyed the way that you kind of set it up where it's not it's almost like two or three stories in one, but it all flows together. If that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. to anybody that's listening. So it's, it's, so it's really interesting, um, that the way that she wrote it and kind of, and, and tells it. So, uh, I would definitely, definitely recommend checking it out, but where can people find it? Yeah. So to get the book, um, alone in wonderland is my personal website. You can purchase it there and it will come straight from me. Um, you can get a signed copy there. That's kind of the only place to get a signed copy. Um, and then it is also available on bookshop and IndieBound If you want to support your local bookstore, um, if you are international and not in the United States, you can get it on book depository and they ship worldwide. And then if you want to talk to me, I'm available. Um, Instagram is really the best spot. And my handle is rugged outdoors woman. Awesome. Well, everyone definitely, like I said, check, check out the book, check out our website and, and Instagram and all that stuff. Um, I, I really think that, you know, reading, you know, when, when you, uh, or when I first started reading, I didn't know what to expect at first, but it, it's cool kind of the way that, like I said, it's laid out and it's kind of an inspiring journey of different, different things going on, but kind of how you persevered or persevered through them. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out and check her out and see, see what she's up to and follow her next adventures. But uh, Christine, thank you again for being on today's podcast. Um, and I definitely wish you the best of luck in your, uh, your next adventure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.